Last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. With Algernon gone, there is space for another patrician. And personally, I think that Molly would be exceptionally busy in that role. How the puppet master becomes a patrician is by having one major debt owed to them from a princep or a major debt owed to them by two or more patricians. My patrician move is regicide. When I destroy patrician, I take their place. The bacchanal is when you host a social event for predators that makes a spectacle of prey. You gain patrician status. His name is Mulholland. You can tell he looks like a director. Mulholland lives at the Ocean Lodge Hotel. I'm also here with the Legion of Decency. That wasn't just bullshitting. By the way, your paperwork is outstanding. Well, Mulholland hasn't wanted Algernon in any of his films since talking was recorded for them. Duke, carry this through. Make me proud, son. (laughs) (laughs) Make me proud, boy. Now he's going by Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Greenglass. Before, uh, that Jonathan was shortened to Jack. Uh, You're looking at Jack the Ripper. You have heard tales before, and you've probably encountered vampires in the past who have been known to make blood slaves of people. I've just brought a few new guests this evening. They're very interested in the auction occurring later tonight. And the two of them shrink back and gesture to the door. Jonathan grabs the handle, opens it up, and invites you inside. Four of you enter, you three as bonus guests, and Jonathan, of course, having already been invited. And as you come inside, he looks at the three of you. Now make nice and mingle while I set up uh, an audience. Annie was already walking away. (laughs) I lightly hit him in his chest with the back of my hand. Hey, I'm a people person. Uh Uh-huh. It's literally my job to talk to people. And the three of you filter into this party as Jonathan heads off along an adjacent hallway to a different room. Annie makes note of any and all vampires that she is aware of. Yeah, so this party is basically all vampires. Everyone here is a vampire. You don't particularly uh, recognize much in the way of local vampires, although there are a few here and there, if there's any that you feel like putting in here. But all of the humans who are around are mostly acting as servers. Several of them have the similar bulging veins and somewhat dead-looking eyes of the uh, blood slaves outside. But there are some who, who appear to be scared and uncertain about their position, and periodically guests will take playful nips at them as they bring drinks and other things around the room. By the way, the drinks are absolutely blood. I should I should be very clear. This is the vampire party. Okay, so just above table, uh-huh. would Walter be upset with Annie for drinking the blood at this party? I mean... 
But Walter don't know. Walter don't know. You know what I mean? Well, if it does come up, she'll just explain that she was blending in in order to fulfill the more important mission. Mm -hmm. Do we get any uh, drops of blood back from drinking the Uh, the blood? I think think you uh, have regained one blood. All right. So she'll, she'll pick one up to blend in and she'll see someone she recognizes not from the neighborhood. Carla, darling, I don't think I've seen you since, what was it, Italy? Or was it the Romanov's estate? I, I can't recall. These things do all blend together, don't they? So, Annie, yes, you, you begin to mingle with some old friends that are, are not from L.A. They are in town for this here auction that Aldernon has put on. How about you, Soren? I know you said they're not all locals, but I'm thinking of a local. Oh my god. I sit down at the bar. Oh my god. Ethel Merman. I had no clue (laughs) that you were a vampire. I loved you and Annie Get Your Gun. I was still on New York when the uh, the original Broadway play went up. I went and saw it. I knew you had a a seductive allure about you, but I just thought that was the silver screen. I had no clue. All right, Phil. Wonderful to meet you. I need you to give me your best Ethel Merman impression as a response to that. I oh good lord, uh, it's been so long since I heard Ethel Merman speak. Uh, <laughs> let me look up a YouTube clip of her real quick. I know she has a very distinctive voice, so it shouldn't. Be Alternatively, I'll just say she she smiles sweetly and takes a sip of uh, her drink, not expecting to talk about her above line business at this sort of a gathering. What does Duke do to blend in? Let's see. Oddly enough, I think he's in a weird crossroads where he's not quite got the hang of what of what makes the vampires tick, but he knows how to play humans like a fiddle. Yeah. So he's just going to try and go around and see if he can't find people who are bored. See if he can't set up a small wager ring here. I love the idea that there's like some people who are sitting around out by the pool, just sort of staring out into the night and... You, you, you like walk out, stand next to them. You're all just in silence, and then you just start playing with some dice. I don't know, boys. A night without a wager just doesn't seem right. Seems kind of dry. What do you gentlemen think? Two of them look at each other uh, and look over at you, Duke, with a smile on their faces, and quickly hop up in ascent maybe pulling you over to a piece of patio furniture where you can all sit around and shoot some dice. Hell yeah. Yeah. So you each trickle in to different parts of this party, uh, talking with old friends, meeting new people, uh, or relying on old habits to get by. Mm-hmm. This party, there's music playing from a record player in the background. These vampires chat, drink, and I, some very nervous humans who are serving them. In the main, what clearly is designed to be a living room for this house, uh, which overlooks the city below, the furniture has been cleared out of the way to make room for chairs that are currently being set up with a platform at the end by some large windows, floor to ceiling, which take up the whole wall facing the city. 
and a platform is being set up where the auction is to occur later this evening. Uh, however, before the night gets too late and any of these vampires get too too thirsty looking at these vulnerable humans, Jonathan comes back and swings by each one of you, just giving you a quick tap on the shoulder and inviting you to follow him. And we do. Jonathan takes you back down that hallway that he'd left through earlier. You go through one door and then another, taking you into, uh, it clearly at one point was an office, but much of the furniture has been pushed around to the walls till all that remains is a a desk uh, and several chairs littered about the room. Standing at the back of the room, just barely visible in the shadows, although of course with your vampire eyes, you see quite well in the shadows. You see three different humans, uh, all clearly these same kind of blood slaves, standing ready and at attention. And sitting at the desk, playing idly with, I imagine there's one of those uh, <laughs> clinky ball things. I'm sorry. A Newton's Cradle? Newton's Cradle, thank you. <clears throat> uh, playing idly with a Newton's Cradle. Uh, master of the physics upon his own table. You see a strikingly handsome man with very dark hair and perfect white teeth, popularized from stage and screen, but only the silent bits. You see Algernon Briarwood. He looks up at you mirthlessly uh, from his table and he, he gestures to the seats in the room. Come in, have a seat. <laughs> oh, God. That's why it was in silent films. Yeah. Talkies ruined a many, many a star's lives. And he sits on the desk, though not on his side of the desk. Algernon leans forward, his eyes flashing. I insist. She'll stand up from his desk. Uh, she stands up from his desk and Jonathan gives a nod at the back of the room, but then closes the door behind him, leaving leaving you all there with uh, Algernon. Algernon uh, lazily leans back in his in his high high backed like all leather wing back chair. He leans back and surveys the three of you. My man Jonathan, he told me that the three of you were interested in making a special deal for all the prey at this auction. I thought that sounded like a pretty wild proposition, but I thought that I'd hear you out. <laughs> Is that what he said? Uh, <laughs> well, I fear our good man Jonathan might have a bit grandiose in his uh, expression of our interest. At least sight unseen. We would love to attend the auction proper, though. He nods a few times. If you're waiting for the auction, then you will have to contend with everyone else out there as well. And uh, what sorts of specimens will be available tonight? I'm assuming they're all healthy. Virile. Virile. <laughs> Goodness, honey, control yourself. I have spent a, a fair bit of time collecting all of the finest quality product. I assure you that only the best exist at my auction. 
And do you offer disposal services? We can take care of anything once you're done, although I do ask that you do it off of my grounds. I think we'll be just fine throwing down with the rest of them if we need to. Yes, I'm quite interested in what inventory you currently possess. So the three of you indicate that you are more interested in attending the auction than in wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. And Algernon sits a little bit further forward at his desk. And as the conversation sort of peters out, says... I'll just cut right to the quick then. And he looks at Duke in particular, but then at the other two of you as well. I brought up the prospect of my product, and you were interested in inspecting it, but Jonathan had indicated you were interested in acquiring the lot of it. I know that what is going on here this evening is not something that dear old Walter would necessarily appreciate. I know, Duke, that you especially are quite close with the man, and I know some of the circumstances that you, Annie, are under as well. So then you're aware that my interest doesn't lie with what is going on here tonight but rather other than how it applies to my circumstances. We are much more interested, Mr. Briarwood, in certain cattle that may be up for auction and who might be purchasing certain cattle than the fact that there's an auction happening this evening. How can I trust that that is the limit of your interests? Darling, we're vampires. You can't trust anything. You know that. But you also know that what we're interested in is our own self-interest, not these humans. Walter has tasked us with finding out who is responsible for these murders. Whoever purchases these cattle at your auction is who we're coming for. How did you know to come here tonight? Obviously, Jonathan led you to here, but I don't believe he would rat me out if you didn't know something already. Well, we found flyers that led us to Jonathan, and that is what led us to you. We were investigating the women who were murdered and found out that they had disappeared. And we found others who had disappeared who have not yet turned up. And through that investigation, we found the connection to Jonathan and therefore you. It's the downside of using a public space to do your recruitment. And the reason why Walter would probably not approve of this. He is going to initiate a metal. He is going to ante up blood uh, and he's going to read your bodily responses, Annie, as you tell this fib. And he leans further forward on his desk, his grip tightening on the edge of it. 
Your words are suspicious, Annie. You would do well to speak truthfully to me. And one of the blood slaves steps forward more menacingly from the corner. So how does this work now? Yeah, so <laughs> and mechanically how this works is you ante up blood uh, mm-hmm. in order to do call or to call and raise and applying pressure on somebody else in meddling with their affairs. The target, I would say, of his meddle is to is to determine whether or not well, it's, it's basically just to, to determine whether or not you are a threat to his enterprises. And your your win condition would be getting his help in determining who is responsible for these murders, right? Yeah. So so those are the those are the stakes at which the bet is made. I'm going to Annie of Blood to come alongside and help Annie. Listen. Your, your, your hulking cow over there is quite impressive, but we were not hired on a lock, Mr. Briarwood, and as Annie had already mentioned, our best interest is our best interest. This has affected her business directly. Our number one priority, per Walter, is to catch the person responsible for those murders. You know it's not you, we know it's not you, but whoever it is, is purchasing from you. Our interest is the auction. Perhaps out of this evening, we could end with a partnership. After all, clearly you have a taste or your clients have a taste for my former employees. And I do have quite the list. Algernon. uh, So actually first spend a blood. uh, I did. Yes. As you as you call. And so effectively you by the two of you both anting up a blood there. Basically, uh, I'm willing to raise is what I'm saying. Yeah, so, yeah, you, yeah. You, you guys called and raise. Yeah. Uh, thus putting the stakes back in his court. Algernon is also going to call and raise. Oh, crap. Okay. So he's going to spend an additional two blood. He stands up and crashes his fist down on the table and it cracks under the force of it. Partnerships, Annie, are built off of trust. And you have brought into my house, he gestures to Duke, Walter's dog. Duke, leaning against the door, smiles. But you know, and this is the raise, I'll hear out your arrangement, Annie, if you take care of that dog for me here and now. Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay, so here here's what Annie's thinking. She would want to respond immediately, but if there's some way that the two of them could fight and fake Duke's death, <laughs> is is that possible with with vampires? Um, with Duke in specific, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing that sort of fake out uh, would would be like in some circumstances a flaunt. In this circumstance, probably just a metal raise. Yeah. But it's also something that, if saw through, would go very poorly. Mm. Duke lets out a short barking laugh from the door and starts taking off his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's how here's how she'll here's the take she'll do. Really, because you think that I'm that stupid or have that much of a death wish, I killed Duke 
who's currently overseeing my investigation, Walter will have my head. No partnership, no business endeavor is worth that. I think, Annie, you're not looking forwards to where this business could lead. I'm attracting talent from all over this country, all over the world. You've seen the guests at my party. I'm fond of quite a few of them. Walter's order in this city only persists so long as we all accept it. We could throw the first gauntlet here and now. As a side note here, Annie, you called me down from New York for this bullshit? I I I'm would love some help here on how 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 to to do this because she's obviously not going to kill Duke, but she really. It might be time for you to back out of the metal and for Duke to get a little bit more personally involved. Duke, what do you do? Duke. Puts his thumbs under his suspenders. You know, Algernon. Let's him go with, with a sharp little snap. Starts cracking his knuckles. I wonder how important are you personally for this auction to happen? Like if we are in here negotiating all night, will there be no auction? Will they stop dead in their tracks? Or will all your servants who already have their orders start the festivities without us? This sounds like a call and raise. As you, you know, get your body prepared for potential conflict here. But you're definitely pushing the ball back into his court. You're not just meeting it. So that's, uh, you're betting two blood. And you do not necessarily immediately spend that blood, but you do if he calls which I don't see Algernon folding. So so just to keep our tally going, in total, uh, you all have now spent four blood and Algernon has spent three. In response to this, Algernon smiles wickedly and both of the two blood slaves who had stayed back step forward as well. So the three of them are now better illuminated by the light from his table lamp Algernon cracks his own fingers and looms looms menacingly over the room he is taller standing up like obviously he's taller standing up than when he was sitting down but uh, he he's a fairly big guy he's at least just over six foot and his presence goes much beyond that the lamp next to him flickers and the blood slaves inch a little bit closer to passing him on either side of the desk. This auction will happen at my whim. You, you have become an unwelcome guest. I'm going to ask that you stay forever. Can she snap the neck of one of his familiars? Can I say something before we start the fight? I'm going to try one more time to defuse this fight. 
I will. Here's the thing. This sounds like we're getting into a fight now. And the nice thing is uh, metal blends really nicely into fight. But I will give you an opportunity to say something, Soren. But let's hear what it is. Now, Mr. Briarwood, let me be perfectly frank, because you know these two quite well, or at least well enough. You don't know me very well. I'm fairly new in town. I'm with the Legion of Decency, which means that people in the human world would notice my disappearance. Additionally, yesterday, I was at the LAPD, and I am actually an authorized detective of the LAPD working on this case. And the humans know my going-ins and going-outs until this case is resolved satisfactory. If I disappear, or either of my two associates disappear, Walter will be the least of your concerns, and if you think me vaguely threatening that the humans will take down the vampire enterprise in LA is offsetting, let me tell you who I was back in England. Are you familiar with Bram Stoker? I'm responsible for that fiasco. If you don't think for a second that I can bring this all crashing down with my death, you're tripping, Mr. Briarwood. And he takes a step towards you, Soren, his fingers reaching out to grasp at your throat. Ah, uh, he okay. says, I know how to deal with humans. Uh, you guys are in a fight now. Yeah, so yep. next, uh, next snap. Yeah, so, well, no, so, 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 here's where we get into the deets, everybody. Uh, so, so far, uh, he called your Colin Ray's Duke. So, both sides have spent four going into the fight. So actually you're you're at the same level already. All that blood counts towards the fight as well, but I'm going to need each of you to write down a number for me. And that is the amount of blood you're willing to spend on this fight personally. If you drop past 2, you can't wake up, right? Or is it dropping past 1, you can't wake up? If you drop past 1, you can't wake up. If you if you drop below 3, you're going to be real thirsty. Yeah, you're starving. Yeah, 3 or less is starving. So how how do we communicate to you how many we're willing to spend? Uh, So right now you have that written down. And once everybody's ready, we will all reveal. Uh, So including the amount that you already spent on the metal, what is the amount of blood you've spent on this fight, starting with Soren? That's six. Seven. Eight. But because I'm cold-blooded in a fight, if I spend five, at least five blood, that's actually nine. Oh, Algy, I'm 20 pounds of fight in a 10-pound bag. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, oh, this is really good. So in total, then, 6 plus 7 is 13, plus 9 is 22. Algernon waged 20 uh, in total, including the four he already spent on the medal. This is, I'm assuming, of course, that all three of you are fighting Algernon and that you are not aiding him in killing Duke, I I would assume. You assume correctly. Correct. Okay. Cool. 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 Just making sure. I don't know. There are other plays that could be made here. That's all. I'm saying. In all honesty, though, it does depend on what Annie's going to do. Because I'm here at Annie's bequest. So if she decides to kill Duke mid-fight, I'm going to kill Duke mid-fight. <laughs> well, uh, as the highest spending on the winning side, Duke in the end is going to get to decide what happens to everybody. He he literally gets the power to decide who lives and who dies, uh, since he is the highest spender on the winning side. But I will I will lay the scene out, so to speak. So. It gets rowdy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's an understatement. Uh, Algernon, who is already clutching for Soren, grabs him and throws him uh, towards Annie. I'm sure 
you know, Duke charges up, fists ablazing, lands a punch or two. As things start getting bloody in here and like real blood starts being drawn in this conflict, you see Algernon, uh, his, his blood slaves join in the melee some, but they are like far weaker than a vampire. Instead, how they lend their aid is as he gets increasingly wounded in this fight, fighting off the three of you all together, one of his blood slaves will step forward and he throws his hand through their chest and pulls out their still beating heart, which he consumes, reclaiming all of the blood that he had stored within them. Because I saw that coming. As a, uh, as a nightmare playbook, he can create blood slaves and store his blood in them. So he has quite the operation where he has a lot of blood at his disposal, so he can constantly top himself off and refill his blood bags. So he refreshes himself once, twice, a third time in this fight, allowing him to spend as much blood as he does. But with the three of you fighting together and your combined wit and tenacity, and also just brute force, your the amount of blood you have to wager at 22 is greater than his 20. So you are the victors in this fight. Duke, as the highest spending victor, what happens to everyone? Well, after seeing what he does with two of his, his blood slaves, I, I casually grab the third blood slave very gently, smash his head into the wall and say, hey, let me help you with this one. And then I throw that vassal at Algernon's head. And he, of course, you know, it's taken back by, like, I hit a dude with another dude. That, <laughs> even if you eat that dude afterwards, you still get a little bit thrown off by that. Yeah, you throw, you throw him off his rhythm. So do you go in for the kill? Do you, like, wh- what's the end game here? You, as I said, you decide who lives and who dies. You decide how this fight finishes for everyone. And as he recovers from that, Annie and, and Klimek go in and start harrying him from the sides. As they're doing that and he's distracted with them, I just, he was sitting at a big impressive desk, yeah? Yeah. I just kicked that directly into him, uh, sending him across the room with the desk into his uh, shins, like literally into his shins a little bit, and just hurl myself at his chest and just, you know, remove some of his ribs. Remove most of his ribs. Like you do. Yeah, you kick the desk. Uh, it goes sliding with extreme force across the parquet floors of this office. Uh, it goes not just sliding into, but through his shins, pinning him against the wall as you go fists and claws deep into his chest, forming a cavity where there was not one before. Uh, am I to assume then that you kill him? <laughs> yeah, yes, this is this fight is not ending well for him. We are destroying him. Yeah, uh, Algernon <laughs> splutters blood and is helpless against you as you dismantle him rib by rib in his very own office. How how do things end for Soren and for Annie in this fight? There was quite the melee. Did something happen to them along the way? I imagine they, they got and uh, they gave and, and received as an uh, equal measure. Let's see who amongst the two, amongst the two of them, it feels like Klimek is the least fighty. 
Um, I was turned in a Viking colony. Oh, I guess that's true. Uh, it, Annie was an Amazon. So you might <laughs> want to keep that in mind. I mean, both of us probably got injured, but we were both yeah. turned in fighting situations. <laughs> Everyone and, 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 uh, and Duke was a, is a knockdown drag out street brawler. So I think even though uh, we all gave as good as we got, sorry, we actually gave better than we got. And we're uh, definitely looking worse for wear, but we're fine. Okay. He never stood a chance against us. Yeah, the three of you emerge victorious against him. Uh, His body lays there cracked open against the wall. His three blood slaves all in varying piles around the room. What's the play? Annie fixes her hair and then starts looking for paperwork that might tell us, you know, a logbook or something that would tell us who was sold to whom. You think this man has a spare suit lying around the room? We looked like we were a similar build. I'm not going back out into a party looking like I just got out of a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is an office. There is not spare clothes lying around. Uh, oh, I didn't could. know if you had like an attached like living. Co- this we're at the man's house, so like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, the the room you came through, uh, like there was another room off of that hallway. I mean, you could go looking for a bedroom. You could find some clothes. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking for a change of clothes on the way out, though. Casually, though, I am going to turn to uh, Duke and I'm going to say, you know, there was a time back in Europe when I was in France that I was a princep for a while and having been in that position before I know how frustrating it is to hear about upstart patricians that think they can just casually take down from the inside so uh, it's good to see that there are people that Walter can depend on to keep things in order in Los Angeles and I'm going to walk toward the bedroom also by your playbook Duke you have successfully killed a patrician for all intents and purposes you are now you have taken over that status and position it's true as the devil so much for molly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you theoretically have in 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 that vein i actually open up i open the door just a crack to the uh to the main room and call out for what was his name jonathan yeah yeah i call for him Jonathan is uh, standing with a drink by the opening to this hallway, and when he sees you call for him... Uh, uh, I'm not... The door is cracked, and he doesn't get to see me. Oh, you just you just call for Jonathan? Yes. I uh, crack, okay. open the door just to crack and call for him and wait to, wait until I hear him come up. Okay. Yeah, he comes up. Pull him in. Close the door behind him. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey, Duke. I... He looks around the room. Uh, looks like you had an interesting conversation. I, I don't suppose you know where he keeps the paperwork. I could probably rustle some up. Seeing, see, I think seeing Duke still holding a few of Aldrinon's ribs in his hand. Flicking bits of bone splinters off my hand. Yeah, like just cleaning off your, your extremely gory knuckles. He kneels down. How can I be of service? We're going to hold the auction like normal, but no one gets anything. But we will find out who was purchasing the cattle that had been turning up in public. This farce has gone on long enough. It's not enough to simply stop it. 
We have to find who did it and make sure Walter knows. He nods emphatically, rising back to his feet, and he snaps his fingers uh, over at Soren, who's finishing getting dressed after coming back into the room, having found a change of clothes in an adjoining bedroom. Soren, you, you saw the records of these women, yes? Yes, I did. Help me. I believe I can find the books. And he heads over to the desk uh, and reaches underneath and he pulls at a fake, like a, a false wall on the uh, desk and pulls out a hidden drawer. And he pulls from within it a, a large black bound notebook, which he sets on the desk after brushing off the uh, b- bone fragments from Algernon's destroyed shins. And he, he cracks open the book and he says, Soren, help me correlate the, the data from the accounts of those women with the records in this book so we can we can find them. Still wiping blood from my hands. I'd be happy to. Annie will go back out to the party and drink as many blood wines as she can. Cause she's she's not starving, but she's just about <laughs> just about. <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. She'll bring, you know what? She'll bring two trays back with her. <laughs> Annie, you are a darling. The most blood I can give you from these blood drinks is probably going to be one each. You'll need to formally feed if you want some blood back. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's that's all I'm doing. They're, they're real blood Bloody Marys. <laughs> so, Soren, you come over and you help Jonathan Greenglass with this book of records for for the transactions that have occurred and you pour through and you apply what you learned about each of the different records of the women who've disappeared and you don't find a match for any of them and Jonathan like scratches his chin well well that is very strange I I do I do know that I I brought them to him Mr. Greenglass, if we just killed a patrician in cold blood for no goddamn reason, I will personally hold your ass responsible. He he like raises his hands uh, in a a sign of harmlessness. Uh, now, hey, I I can provide good words that I did deliver them to Algernon. So if they're not in these records of having been sold, then he must have done something with them. He knew. Maybe you got your guy. We're going to hold the auction and we're going to find out who buys the cattle. In fact, wait, let's let's first, where are the, where are the cattle? Let's inspect them. Let's see if any of the girls match this description before we even let this auction take place. Because if there isn't one that matches this criteria that is going to be auctioned off, then there is no reason to let this happen in Walter's territory. Oh no, it's not going to happen. Nobody's walking out of here with these cattle tonight under these auspices. It'd be what we refer to in the Midwest as a lie. But we should see if we have the bait necessary. No point in even doing that much if there's not. Jonathan nods emphatically. Uh, I can take you to them. I believe he just keeps them in the basement. There's a, a stairwell over here. He pushes aside a large bookcase in the room that 
Uh, it once had shelves holding books and things, but uh, after a couple of bodies were hauled into it in the course of this fight, it is in massive disrepair. He sh- shoves it to the side with a loud thump as it falls into the wall next Just to it. Just for narrative flavor, did one of those books happen to be Bram Stoker's Dracula? Uh, yes, one of them was Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula, just for you. And he gestures to the stairwell behind. They're down here. And he takes you all down. You go down a set of, you know, normal stairs. Uh, <laughs> there had been some theatrics put together to hide that staircase behind a bookcase, but it, it is just a normal stairwell built into this house. Uh, you head down into a, a basement level, which admittedly is uncommon for this part of the country, but perhaps it was added at the builder's request. After all, Algernon did have this estate built. You make your way into the basement and there are wire cages on either side of this room uh, and there are roughly 25 people, uh, 25 humans who are split between these two zones on either side. Uh, You look over all their faces, but none of them match the description that you'd been investigating none of them are these none of them are these younger women with black hair are in, striking eyes are any of them former employees of annie's establishment nope none of them are and green glass gestures and says uh, these are these are all of them he he always brings them all together for the auction he tries not to keep too many, too much stock on hand for fear of discovery. Greenglass, I don't see any dark-haired humans. Uh, have you brought him any? Are, are there any humans that you have brought him since the last auction that are not currently here? As far as I can tell, all the others that remained have been auctioned away. These few who are, are left, I think, are, are all that I have brought to him recently. After all, you interrupted me during my casting session earlier today. Annie will go up to one of the humans, human cages. You, over here. A young man flinches and steps forward obediently. Have you seen any other humans brought down here or taken anywhere? He shakes his head slowly. Are you aware of any other rooms down here? Have you been taken anywhere else? He again shakes his head slowly. I'm going to approach a cage specifically that has a woman in it instead of a man. Yeah, uh, an older woman comes up. She's blonde. Hey, lady, is that your natural hair color? (laughs) Uh, She nods. Anybody else in here had the hair dyed recently? No, no one really responds. They, they draw back after you all came down. Let me repeat myself. Is this a flaunt or am I just going to... Uh, what are you doing? Are you doing something vampiric, baby? I don't know. Uh, I'm debating. I'm debating. Look, we're here to actually free you. So I suggest you cooperate with us. Because the sooner you cooperate with us... The sooner this nightmare will be over for you. The, the, the younger man who you've been speaking with perks up just a little bit. 
the hope not having been completely dashed from dashed from him yet. Is that that true? Yes. Are you what? really going to let us out of here? Why are we suddenly going? I don't, to that? <laughs> I don't know. I just got mad all over Twist vibes, but he's not that young. But uh, look, we really. I just came here to get famous. Well, there's different types of famous around here. You can either end up in a paper because you're in a tabloid because you're a star, or you can end up in a paper because you're dead in front of the cop's office. We're trying to prevent the latter. But have you heard of Mulholland? Uh, and he, he perks up uh, a little more. Yeah, of course. He's a friend of mine. So perhaps if you help me, if you have anything actually of value, then I may introduce you. He takes a, another step a little closer. Uh, wh- what questions can I answer you? Have you ever seen any dark-haired women down here? He shakes his head from side to side. Uh, not a one. Have you ever seen any other rooms? I've, I've only been here for the last week, maybe. Uh, not particularly. Hey, uh, Jonathan... Just to just to clarify here, Johnny boy. Yeah. Yes. You said you have for sure been bringing dark-haired women that match the descriptions to these auctions. I I don't always stick around for the auction. I just procure the merchandise for Algernon. What what he does with them, I I don't always know. And you bring them here to this specific basement, or do you give him? the humans someplace else and you just assume that he brings them here. I put them on a bus and the bus comes here and I'm not always here when they're unloaded. I I told you before those books are a record of of these sales. If if the women aren't in the books, maybe they aren't being sold. That's what we're getting at, you dimwit. <laughs> Where is this bus? You told us that this is where you brought them. You didn't say anything about a bus before. I... Where? I delivered them on a bus. So you load them onto a bus and you drive the bus to here and unload them. That's correct. And you unloaded all those women that we have previously discussed, the dark-haired women, but none of them have been sold. So where else would, so did you escort them down here or did you just escort them off the bus at this estate? I just delivered them to this estate to Algernon. Great. The only man who knows what happened to those women is dad. Yeah, well, he wasn't talking. I I don't know what you all are so upset about. I if they're off the books, I delivered them to Algernon. If if they're off the books, it sounds like you got your man. We are trying to verify that. Because based off of what we know now, Algernon is not the only one with means, motive, and opportunity. But unfortunately, it's beginning to look like we have to take what we can get. This should send enough of a message to whoever was doing this let them know it's not welcome. We shut this down, denying them this particular source. And if they do it again, then we start 
looking for them again, and they know what the price of us finding them will be. Annie will search this entire house because she wants to find either a motive, because it still makes no sense to her that these women have suddenly started to be dropped in front of, you know, on display. And the fact that there's no documentation, a lot of fingers have pointed towards Algernon, but she's not, she needs more information before she's willing to bring it to Walter. So while they're dealing with the auction and whoever else, she is going to search this entire place for evidence of dark haired women of what he might have against her Mulholland or Giselle or Walter. Like, cause why these particular women, there are other yeah. victims and he clearly knows how to dispose of them without all the attention. So why all the attention? So, so uh, as you sort of, pour your way through the house. It's not like you find a book that is my master plan by Algernon Briarwood. But as you, you go through the things in the house, uh, you find a lot of normal things. You, you find, you don't find anything that you're looking for, but what it does do is it gives you time to think about what you've been told. He's trying to undermine Walter. So, and get Walter discredited so that he could take his place. So that is the motive that you heard from Algernon's mouth. Yeah. Uh, from Giselle, you know that he had some kind of beef with Mulholland, potentially with her, uh, that he had aspirations to go higher in this city than his current place in life. Uh, or in unlife, I should say. <laughs> um, and you know that he had this motive, which by those women dying, it cast a bad light on Mulholland and on... Giselle both in different ways caused trouble for vampires in the city for the princep, of course, uh, very much egg on his face. But you, you have motive, you have opportunity, but you don't find perfect evidence. While she's doing that, I'm going to have a conversation with good old Jack the Ripper. Johnny boy. Johnny boy, let, let, let me be very clear about why all of us are a little tense about the outcome of this. You see, there's a dead man. Four of them. Three of them are cattle, so they don't count. Really, all that matters is there is one dead man in there that used to be a patrician of this city. Now, when we go back to Walter, we were tasked with finding out who's responsible for these murders. And although shutting down this little cattle hustle would be very helpful to Walter, and that would make him very happy. That's not what we were originally tasked with. Circumstantially, it looks very much like if Algernon was not directly involved, he was complicit in these murders. However, he is very much dead now, and having served as a witness on multiple occasions and multiple trials, I can tell you that that's not going to hold up in a human court of law let alone Walter's smart and highly perceptive ass. When Walter uh, wait, so, Soren, out, Soren, Soren. I, I've been giving this some thought as we've been ransacking this place looking for more information, and I think I might have a solution for you. A solution that does not end with you going into pariah status yet again, because it's starting to look that way, buddy. 
and he, he smiles a grim smile. I don't think so. He, uh, I think you're having this conversation back in the office, which is still quite tarnished. And he gestures to Algernon and to the book on the table. Look, you have evidence that Algernon had access and, and motive and, and all that, but also that he was conducting this operation underneath the princeps nose and got away with it practically un- until now. So, you know, our man Duke here, he has taken care of this problem for the princeps. No- nothing that's occurred here this evening is out of line. That's a net positive for Walter. Additionally, whether or not Algernon was behind this activity or not that you're especially concerned about, by eliminating him, you have cut off the supply. I certainly won't be dabbling in any of this again, not after all of this havoc. So without that supply, whoever did do it shouldn't be able to any longer. And at the end of the day, Walter is most concerned about this media circus that has come up. And he uh, straightens his tie a little bit. As a proud member of the media myself, I believe I can rectify this problem for us. All that we need to do is find a culprit. And you know those humans. Well, they'll believe almost anything. Well, Johnny boy, I hope for your sake that you are correct. This will definitely tie up several strings, but let me be perfectly frank. When we give our report to Walter, your name will most certainly be dropped. And if any other bodies are dropped, then he's going to have your head as well. Well, provided my gambit works, he reaches out his hand to shake yours. I promise you no heads will roll. Well, at least certainly not mine. (laughs) Duke puts his jacket back on, straightens it out, his cuffs. All right. I think this is as fairy tale an ending as we can expect here. Now, if you excuse me, we need to gather the guests who are expecting an entirely different sort of entertainment, disappoint them, and send them on their way. You straighten out your, your coat, you head out the door, and you do exactly that. Hey there, it's David, your Undying GM. Uh, your GM for Undying. I'm mortal, I swear. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for this game's finale. I had an excellent time making and voicing NPCs for this one, and I'm sad to say goodbye to them for now. There's more to their story yet, though, for you, so stick around to the end. There is certainly still some more meat to this tale. I'm delighted, though, to start sharing our Ghost Lines game with you, starting with our setup episode in two weeks. I gathered together four of my closest friends for this game, and it... I'm going to be real with you. We get up to some shenanigans. Recording the setup, let alone the game that followed, was some of the most fun I've had in months. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, so you don't miss out. Links are in the description. 
And hey, if you like what we're doing here, it would be beyond kind of you to tell a friend about us or leave us a comment in your podcatcher so that others will know to check us out too. It inspires us to keep making this and it brings more people to the show. Oh, uh, and if you're looking to add another podcast to your portfolio, then look no further than Two Weeks One Shot, a bi-weekly show of one-shots and various TTRPG systems. Its editing and sound design are great, and their D&D one-shot answers a question I didn't even know to ask. What if Ratatouille was a necromancer? That question can be answered for you, too, uh, when you follow the link in our description. Go check them out later. Thank you again for listening. I hope to join you next time for our Ghost Lines game on March 24th. Bye for now. We are now going to move out of nightly play uh, and into the other kind, which has a name. It does have a name. We just all forgot it. Uh, Downtime play. I'm presuming that after this, you know, they go to meet up with Walter under the bridge and yep. uh, Annie is allowed to use her her establishment again. Yeah, not going to lie. I was kind of hoping for that conversation with Walter just because I absolutely am terrified, but love him as a character. Uh, I, I, You can understand why Annie's hesitant because we have Jack the Ripper involved and so without explicit evidence that the killings and very dramatic displays which are very jack the ripper-esque she's finding it difficult to completely exonerate this known serial killer from you know suspicion (laughs) and i already stated i'm not comfortable with the circumstantial nature of the evidence (laughs) Guys, I think that's all going to be addressed in the denouement. We're in the downtime play. Uh, So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to explain sort of the immediate events that follow this. And then I want you all to talk about how you begin positioning yourselves in this aftermath. Uh, I know for sure that, Annie, you have a downtime play move that you might be interested in utilizing. And then I will end on some plays of other actors uh, in this downtime before concluding with where the next nightly session would begin where um, we have one. Out of curiosity, by the way, yeah, I just obviously fulfilled my, oh, but Annie's not a patrician yet. Dang. Yep. So Maholland, he, he owes us, but because we cleared him, so that's one patrician, but damn it, because she hasn't had her Bacchanal yet. Damn it. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is is that a downtime move that I can do? Yes, your Bacchanal is your downtime move. Yeah, so... Although, although to be technical, isn't Duke now a patrician? And I helped him get to that status. Does he owe me a debt now because of that? Or because we were all at the bequest of Walter, it doesn't count. Uh, so that was a life or death situation that you did not have to engage in. I, I could see... Walter... Knowing him at least a, a little bit. If, Walt, if Walter owes me a major debt, I'm automatically a patrician because he's a princess. Yeah, it wouldn't be major. <laughs> it would, would, but it, he might owe you a minor. I'm thinking. Yeah, and it specifically lists one major, major debt from a princess or two major debts from patrician. I, I think after the three of you put your life on the line like this uh, and also 
well, let, let's get into it. Let's get into it. First, we'll talk about the immediate time passes. What 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 occurs immediately after this? So there are no more murdered women found. The the murders, the Black Dahlia murders, appear to stop uh, later that week. There is a a article penned by Greenglass about the Black Dahlia murders, and he points fingers at one uh, Doctor Hodel, Doctor George Hodel, as the man responsible, as the human responsible for these killings. And the police investigate it, and he is arrested, and he is, you know, a, a trial is held, and he is convicted for these murders. There is evidence found in his home, whether planted or otherwise, that he had had contact with several of these women. And that, along with the timeline of the murders and the availability that Dr. Hodel had, and the ability that he, as a skilled surgeon, would have in conducting the damage that was found on these women's bodies effectively, he is uh, arrested and he is thrown in prison for his crimes. For, for his crimes that he's convicted of. And with him being found, yes, there is a media circus, but now that the, the thing to be feared has gone away, uh, after a few months, things quiet back down in LA once again. And in both the human and vampire communities, things are a bit more still. In, in the aftermath of your very interesting couple of nights... Duke, you for taking care of this problem for the princep. You are raised to the status of patrician. Uh, that is both in line with your playbook and I think in line with the situation as well. And all three of you for both putting a stop to these killings, which were drawing heat to the vampire community, and also for putting yourself in harm's way in a direct conflict with a patrician and for uncovering uh deeds that they were doing that were beyond the brief that had been originally prescribed to you. I think you've all earned a large debt from Walter. Oh, well, I'm a patrician then, because that's a major debt from a patrician. Yeah, so by by your status being raised, Soren, for the aid that you've provided, uh, I think you you rise to the status of patrician, and the next weakest patrician in this situation is probably Mulholland who uh, a lot of the heat from this seems to have been directed at. Why does there uh, only have to be three patricians? Why can't there be four? I don't well, there can, there can be any number, but the balance right. of power here is struck in that way. And mechanically, if somebody else rises to patrician status, somebody else has to fall. And that person usually becomes a rival or enemy. So in this circumstance, uh, as you are elevated to patrician status, you, this outsider, Mulholland is pushed down for his failure in taking care of this problem and his potential responsibility in egging it on in the first place. Also, as the creator of Algernon, not controlling his spawn like that uh, earns him Walter's disfavor as well. I did feel kind of bad until you mentioned I forgot that he spawned Algernon. Now I don't feel as bad. <laughs> That said, though, I will still, shortly after we this all gets blown over, I will send a telegram to Mahalan to be like, I still need that paperwork for the Legion. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I feel like that means, ooh, I, I feel like Mahalan and I can't be buddies anymore. 
uh, green glass for his complicity in helping Algernon with his operation, he is lowered to pariah status. He is an outcast once again in the city of L.A. How does a pariah stop being a pariah? So a a pariah stops being a pariah when uh, either they they make up for a debt that they have incurred. So currently he now owes a large debt to Walter. And so either he makes good on that debt and therefore earns his way back into the society or he goes somewhere else and finds somebody else who will who will accept him despite the fact that he has broken the rules of vampire society. So Green Glass is demoted again. Uh, he's a pariah now. And I think that covers all of the immediate details, which means we now move into the fun part for the PCs of our downtime play, which is the plot and scheme move for downtime play. So beginning with the highest uh, status individuals, you, for the, the, the length of time of this downtime play, which it's going to just be a couple of years, and I'll get to exactly why that is as I get to the end of this, but you guys get to make your moves first because you all are of higher rank. Uh, so you get to devote your attention to doing shit, to try to reach your goals. So at the highest of the pecking order, uh, they go first. So I think but even between Soren and, and Duke, I think Duke is at the higher end of that pecking order. Oh, for sure. He's from L.A. I'm not. Yeah. Or he is established in L.A. I'm not. I should put it that way, because he's from Chicago. It's true. So you get to choose a number of plots up to double your status, which as a patrician now, you have a status, I believe, of two. Correct. Yes, status of two. So you may choose up to four of the following options. You may atone, making peace with a rival or placating an enemy. You may interfere, decreasing the means of another predator by one. You may bolster, increasing the means of another predator by one. You may bankroll gaining a number of minor debts equal to your status from your choice of predators. You may gentrify, improving either the abundance or awareness of your hunting grounds. It's a long list. Hmm. I will let you read through that. It's on page 57 of the Undying Manual. Let me go, let me go grab that, look that up. Where is it? Trials of the Apocalypse. All right. <laughs> but Jesus, the devil has some hilarious special plots unique to them. I think gentrify is definitely going to be one of the plots I do because uh, Duke is going to take this uh, advantage. There's already this nice estate all set up with people already used to coming here for parties. Duke can use that. He can get a higher class of people who don't know when to stop using yeah. that. So gentrification, his, his uh, grounds are improved because that's what they are now. As, uh, as, as, you, as you may or may not know, uh, casinos, illegal, California, unless it's on Indian land. So this isn't on the up and up with the LAPD, but they don't need to know about this. It doesn't hurt them. So we gentrify. Let's see. I'm going to bolster Annie. Get her a couple of things of what she needs. Um, uh, let's see. Do I have any enemies? Quick question. Will these events have made an enemy of Mulholland for me? It kind of feels like they might. No. For Soren, yes. Okay. Yeah, which is why a tone is going to be part of my... <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so that's two. Oh, your means is your status plus bolster minus interfere. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah, there you go. So that means my means is currently three. Nice. Um, all right, so I've gentrified, I've bolstered. Uh, you know what? I don't know that I need to do anything else. I, I don't I don't think we met any predators that I would want to strong arm or murder. Those are devil only. Um, I don't see anyone that I would want to interfere with. Actually, you know what? Bankroll. Yeah. Um, for saving for saving uh, his bacon in particular, because all of these dames were exactly up his alley. I get a, I get I'm going to get a minor debt from uh, from Mulholland. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Mulholland owes me for having hauled his bacon out of the fire and helping ensure that he can continue to pursue his his artistic career uh, using exactly who he wants to without fear of fingers and eyes pointing in his direction. I like it. Uh, is there anyone else you want to bankroll? Let's see. I, any other predators? I can't really think of anything in specific that would make sense for right now. So, no, that's it. Yeah, just okay. those three. Excellent. So next up, Soren, what's your plot and scheme, boy? Is Maholland currently a rival or an enemy? That He's an will... enemy. Okay, I will atone to drop him to rival because I don't need him up on my nuts. Okay. Uh, so I'll atone to drop him to a rival. How, how do you atone? Um, good question. Um, first off, I actually. Apologize. Oh wait, I have a great idea. Oh. Do you do you help him get shit past the legion? Of decency. Oh, he, oh yeah. Oh, I just blanket. Perfect. I just blanket stamp stuff for him for the Legion. I oh, do apologize to him and tell him I had no intention of knocking him down. That was not my intent. And then I say, I'll make it up to you by blank stamping anything yeah. that comes through with your name on it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So he is now no longer an enemy. He is just a rival. And he can continue to be a mover and player in Hollywood, despite yep. the interruptions that this would have brought. And let's see, I can do... How many things can I do? I think three, uh, right? You can do up to double your status. Your status is currently uh, a two, so you can do up to four. Oh, well, I only want to do three things. So atone to make him a rival instead of an enemy. I want to bolster Duke, anybody that comes across my psychological desk that has issues. I'm going to suggest that maybe they need to seek out some thrills in life to deal with some things, and something as innocuous as gambling could provide that. Uh, <laughs> you you prey on weak-minded people and direct them to a new vice. Weak-minded wealthy people. This is a high-class joint. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not going to like people that come to me with a gambling addiction. I'm not going to send to them to Duke, but I am going to send people that I don't think will develop one to Duke to increase his income and prowess because then they will recommend people that probably would have a problem uh, to Duke. Yeah, I'm going to bolster Duke. That is okay. uh, through some manipulative bad boy psychologist means. <laughs> All right. Uh, What's your number two? What's your number three? You said <laughs> my number three is I'm going to invest, which is unique to a puppet master. I already have the asset of the Legion of Decency, but I'm going to add another asset by becoming the pastor of a mega church in L.A., that is oh, very no. much a televangelist style church. Oh, uh, but that's going to give me 
more followers, a better hunting ground, and it wouldn't be out of line with a psychologist with the Legion of Decency now becoming a pastor of a megachurch. It's very televangelistic style. Oh, boy. Please, please tell me you invent Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go for it. Let's go for it. I straight up and well, no, no, because this needs to be something that I can get a lot of members publicly. Because uh, that's my whole thing as a puppet master. I have public enterprises. Uh, you, and Scientology is you have to pay your way to the top. Like, well, but you do realize that like Tom Cruise and I mean, yeah, there's public members of Scientology. Yeah, no, I yeah, love this. Well, but I don't know how well is in the, the Ron early in the late in the late 40s, <laughs> early 50s. I don't know how many people I'm going to attract with Scientology. <laughs> Uh, uh, you are, you are a you are a vampire. You can attract whoever you want. That's true. Let's just do it. I found Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Hubbard. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Annie, mm-hmm. what are you up to? Well, she is going to entertain. So she's finally going to throw her big bacchanal in the a studio, rather where it's set up for various clientele. You can hunt, you can engage in whatever depravity you see fit, and it can be either open, you can either be an exhibitionist or a voyeur, or if you choose neither, there's still plenty there for you to engage in. There's a maze and some humans who believe that they are participating in a horror film who are available to hunt through the maze for those who who would like to engage in those activities. Is this the most dangerous game? Is that what you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, no. This is this is beyond this is something this is levels of ahead of the most dangerous game. All right, but I'm only coming if Ethel Merman's invited. <laughs> oh, Ethel Merman and Betty White, who's <laughs> Betty White is straight up a vampire. That explains everything. No, she's not a vampire. Who says she's there as as a predator? Yeah, sliced bread's just the best thing since Betty White. There you go. So, of course, she's invited and she can participate in any way she sees fit. So you have your entertainment. So you are going to cause a patrician then to lose their patrician status and become your enemy. It says least popular and most reclusive loses their patrician status. Oh. And we know that Duke is not reclusive. It's true. I think the most reclusive is definitely that's definitely Giselle. Yeah. Um, so I run I think, two public enterprises. It's definitely not me. <laughs> yeah. You you create Giselle as an enemy, knocking her down from patrician status as you become a patrician. You throw a hell of a party. And not only do you conduct it in a manner that is respectful to Walter. Well, of course. Uh, but you conduct it in a manner that is just a balls to the wall good time for everybody there. And so you just overnight, vampires want to do what they can to get in your good graces so that next time you throw one of these, they get to participate even more 
and some of the crazy fun shit you do. So yeah, you are now a patrician by popularity alone. The power. <laughs> uh, the power of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that's one of your two things. You could do a second one. What's your second? And here's where I'm torn. Either a tone so as to placate Giselle down to a mere rival rather than an enemy or do the other sensualist and cultivate so that I, I'm going to go ahead and do that. It'll be more fun to have Giselle as an enemy. <laughs> uh, so do you want to gain an offering from your devotees or eliminate a trouble? Oh, Annie loves trouble. So she's going to get an offering from her devotees. She wants secrets. Oh. All sorts of secrets. Isn't that Giselle's old territory? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we found a nice dovetail for her new position then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you get knowledge yep. of from these vampires you get dirt on the city that i i honestly think might even constitute some some potential information you could use even in a blackmail down the road you you gain dirt on folks la citywide and you establish yourself as a vampire who can not only get you whatever you desire but also help you get in the know as well and so you cement yourself as a patrician as well. We now have three patricians, player characters at the table. So that's what you all do in your plotting and scheming during this time. There are some other things that happen as well. So six months after the Black Dahlia murders in July of 1947, Greenglass names Mulholland Fenar and 10 other Hollywood associates, four of which you know to be vampires, as communists in a column for the Hollywood Inquirer. <laughs> Due to their regular gatherings at Mulholland's Ocean Lodge Hotel, they are dubbed the Ocean's Eleven. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 yes. They are subpoenaed by Congress and appear before the House Un-American Activities Committee later that year. Overnight, Greenglass is a sensation with the humans. And Soren, the Legion of Decency, is especially enamored with him for having ousted these communists in Hollywood. Mm, I have suspicions that wasn't his motivation, but I'm glad the Legion's happy. Another few years pass. It's now 1951. And Greenglass has spent the last few years both as an editor for the Hollywood Inquirer and also uh, often on his radio show. Hello, Hollywood. He doesn't stop at just ousting those 11 communists in Hollywood and putting those names out to the public. He is a staunch anti-communist advocate and takes strong positions in the media, pointing to different individuals and different institutions as being either controlled by or containing secret communist members. And whispers through the vampire community increase as more find themselves as Greenglass's targets. In 1951, he comes out with a statement on his radio show that draws significant attention in the vampire community. 
as it is becoming increasingly apparent that green glass, although rather unpopular with many vampires, especially the establishment in L.A. and around the country for that matter, he is becoming very, very popular with the humans. And in March of 1951, he makes a statement on his radio show that reaches the minds of hundreds of thousands of people, both in California and around the nation. And it ends with this quote. When a great democracy is destroyed, it will not be because of enemies from without, but rather because of enemies from within. The truth of this statement is becoming terrifyingly clear as we see this country each day losing on every front. The reason why we find ourselves in a position of impotence is not because our enemy has sent men to invade our shores, but rather because of the traitorous actions of those who have been treated so well by this nation. It has not been the less fortunate of members of minority groups who have been selling this nation out, but rather those who have had all the benefits that the wealthiest nation on earth has had to offer. The finest homes, the finest education, and the finest jobs that we can give. The program, nay, the campaign to overthrow the American system of free enterprise is being carried out throughout a far-flung system of communist-supported organizations. I and my associates have spent the better part of the last three years with our noses to the ground. And tonight, I am proud to say that I have in my hand over 2,000 cases of individuals who would appear to be either card-carrying members or certainly loyal to the Communist Party, but who nevertheless walk our streets, preying on and profiting off the weak. I am coordinating with our local law enforcement as well as National Guard. Tonight, we will carve out this rotting diseased element and emerge whole, healthy, and prosperous once again. Who does this motherfucker think he is, Joseph McCarthy? He makes this announcement, and having a copy of the list, you receive a summons from Walter to have a conversation about what is to come. Mm-hmm. 